evening, everybody. Good evening, everyone. That's more like it. What a wonderful time of worship. Yo, this feels like dessert. So if you would please open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. We are going to zone in just by recapping a little bit the last couple of weeks in this beautiful text that Paul has for us. Um, we're going to focus tonight on uh, verse 4 to 7. But just to remind us of where we're at, we're going to read from verse 1 to 8. And um, I've entitled this sermon, No Confidence in the Flesh. So let's read together Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And here's our section tonight. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews or a Hebrew speaker, from Hebrew-speaking parents, you could say this, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Can we all say loss? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, that's emphatic in the Greek, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I encourage you, if you didn't listen to the sermon last week, to do so. What a gift it was. But... Uh, we are building on what Mark preached on last week. And uh, I want to remind you that Paul is wrapping up two full chapters of Philippians. And he said the best way to apply all of this is to rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> if you really want to apply all that he's been teaching by the help of the Spirit, it is to rejoice in the facts of this gospel. And he says, guys, you've got to watch out because there are other gospels out there. And Paul calls those... Uh, purveying these gospels, dogs. And he's not trying to be, well, he, I suppose he's trying to be quite blunt, but dogs, remember, in the ancient times were responsible for killing sheep, not protecting them, right? And uh, that's what will happen. If you stray into a false gospel, it will be spiritually destructive in your life. Why? Because only the true gospel can do what Paul is talking about here, which is when you come to faith in Jesus Christ alone for the salvation of your soul. Friends, what God does in you is miraculous. And if you're here tonight wondering, man, has this happened to me? Can I call myself a Christian? Do I know that I'm right with God and, and I'm, I'm actually rescued from hell and on, on my way to heaven? Well, friends, Mark pointed out last week that it, you know this has happened to you when you feel God has changed your hearts. 
when you feel like he stepped into a, your life where once it was hard towards God, maybe even fearful, and you, you feel him cutting that heart of stone out and putting inside your heart of flesh so that now you have a heart for God, you have an eagerness and desire to be a blessing to him and to know him and to live for him. Friends, if that has happened to you, it's a sign of grace that God has done a work inside of you. And he does this by putting his spirit inside of you. Paul says, we are those who worship or serve by the spirit of God. You have this energy for God. You have different desires. You see the world differently to your friends uh, that, that maybe haven't yet known Christ. There, there, there is a total reorientation and empowering in your life where when, once before that, it was dead. And, and that results in you being able to boast and glory in Christ alone because what the Spirit does for you in your heart, He tells you this Christ is real and He tells you this Christ is enough. And the joy of this inner work of God that makes us alive through hearing this gospel and believing it is that ultimately we realize the whole way we lived before meeting Jesus Christ was useless. Paul calls it putting no confidence in the flesh. I just want to push pause tonight because I sense that there are some here that don't yet know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And, and we do not get words like that that Dom shared every Sunday, I promise you, about the reality of heaven and hell and the reality of eternity being weighted on this response to Jesus Christ through the gospel. But tonight, I just want to say, if you are not certain if you are a Christian or if you are born again, you've come to the right place. God's got your number. But I also, by the grace of God, I'm hoping for those of us who can relate to saying, this has happened to me. What you're talking about, I've come to faith in the gospel and I've been transformed inside. Friends, even as believers, we can be slow to leave the old way we lived before coming to a full confidence in Christ. And what I'm hoping you walk away with tonight is you can see how unhelpful your flesh is in terms of anything that pertains to God. I, I'm hoping tonight you lose, I hope you become uh, you, you, lose, you lose confidence. I'm trying to think of the psychological term. It doesn't matter. I hope you leave here tonight devastated in terms of your, conf your, your confidence in yourself and totally dependent in your confidence in Jesus. That's my hope. And I'm hoping that you're shifting tonight. And can I just say, I don't want anybody to feel intimidated what I am contending for by the grace of God in your life is freedom. Freedom. And the first point I want to make from Paul's passage here is that this salvation that we are talking about, it is supernatural. It is supernatural. The supernatural nature of salvation. Paul can't leave, like Mark rightly pointed out in verse 3 last week, by just saying, we are those who put no confidence in the flesh. He can't leave it there. He has to talk more about it because he knows how hard it is for us to not put confidence in our flesh. And he says in verse 4, oh, guys, I'm going to give you a little personal testimony tonight. 
I'm going to tell you about my own life as being the living example of how futile it is to live as though you can make it to God on your own. And he says it in verse 4. He says, oh, guys, we don't put any confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says, I'll beat all of you. <laughs> and friends, what Paul is going to tell us from his own life is this deep-seated problem that our flesh tells us that the way we get to God is DIY. It is DIY religion. And, and this was Paul's story. And, and Paul knows the danger of trusting in yourself and your ability better than anybody else and the danger that he's worried about and why he's going to these Philippians and he's saying, guys, you've got to put no confidence in the flesh is because Paul knows firsthand just how dangerous that position is because the one thing your flesh will never do for you is it will never point you to Jesus. That's why it's so damaging. That's why it's so dangerous. And if we lean into living by the flesh, friends, what you find is that you will never be pointed to Christ. And this was Paul's testimony. Remember his name before he came to faith was, well, before the Gentiles knew him as Paul, was Saul of Tarsus, right? Do you know his story? Anybody know his story? Want to put, your, put up your hand so we can, well, I'll quickly give you a, a, a run through. I don't think there was another man on planet earth that tried so hard to get to God based on his own performance. And he was so determined. He, he lived under the law he even was so zealous for God, he persecuted the church. And, and the point is, he was doing everything according to his fleshly efforts to be right with God until there came a day when he was on track to Damascus to go arrest some Christians. And who did he encounter along the way? Do you know? The resurrected, glorious Jesus Christ. And it took that supernatural intervention in the life of Paul before he was able to be brought to the end of himself, before he could see that all of this work of his flesh was nothing in comparison to the holiness of God and the righteous requirements of God. It took a supernatural intervention in Paul's life for him to see his need for Jesus. And Paul... I don't know if you ever thought about this. He was struck blind when he saw Christ. Do you know why? Well, the first reason is his unglorified retina couldn't cope with the glorified resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> but there is something more. He was struck blind because it forced Paul to no longer look at himself and his effort around him for feeling confidence before the God of heaven. And that is a metaphor, my friends, for how the grace of God has to floor you before you are ready to receive a gracious Savior. And Paul said, guys, I lived in the hell of the flesh. My effort was better than anybody else's, but it was nothing 
It could produce nothing before this God of heaven. It took God to step in and to reveal Jesus to me before I could see my need for him. And friends, that is what becoming a Christian is. You might not see Jesus through the retinas of your eye, but you can see him by the help of the Spirit in your heart, and it floors you. You you suddenly realize you tried all your little little, little tricks and your little games, little counting ledgers of, of, of righteous before this God. And when he shows you Jesus, you see how holy and pure and glorious he is, and you can feel your need. Until you feel a need for Jesus, as if your life depended on it, my friend, you don't understand what you're talking about, about the gospel. And tonight, God has graciously come towards you very close to his worship and his word, and he's coming to you to say, my friend, are you playing the game of trying to make yourself worthy before this God of glory? You cannot. You cannot. And tonight, God has come to you with the message of his good news, which is this. Christ has come down from heaven to earth to bear a life that you could not live and die a death you were meant to die, resurrected for your hope. That if you look upon this Jesus, just a look of need where you can see rightly, I can bring nothing. He is everything and I cast myself on him alone. Then when you get to that point, friends, that's the point of salvation. And, And I know tonight is a bit weighty, but friends, this is a weighty topic, right? This is the difference between heaven and hell. This is the difference between life or death. This is the difference between you encountering the God who made you or never knowing him. And what Paul says, the only way you're going to know him is by the help of God. Because this flesh is diabolically resistant to the way of salvation. Do you know what I love about this apostle Paul who wrote this letter? Do you know what his name means, Paul? Anybody know what his name means tonight? It means small, humble. Isn't that beautiful? Saul of Tarsus, little Paul in Jesus. That's what it's like. Have you become little before the Lord? Or are you here tonight going, oh, I'm okay, I'm all right. Friends, this gospel, it is miraculous in its power to help the human heart bend its knee towards God's appointed Savior. Has that happened to you? Because my second point is, what does confidence in the flesh really mean? Well, I want to, maybe, that flesh is a weird term. I always tended to think of the butcher. I don't know why. I'm like, you know, this... But flesh in, 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 in the Bible means your human nature. In other words, the way God made you from the day you were born, it is, it is, that, that is your, your, your humanity, your, your human self, your human nature. And, and, and so when Paul's talking about the flesh, he's talking about what you know by nature, by, the, by your natural birth and your capacity that comes to you by your natural birth. You with me? Can you give me a nod? That's very important. Okay. And the key word here, what does confidence in the flesh mean? The key word in that phrase is confidence. Friends, what Paul is talking about here, when he's talking about confidence in the flesh, he is saying, give me your best ears. It is anything in your life that, that you look to that gives you confidence in the presence of God other than Jesus. Confidence in the flesh is anything that we look to that gives us confidence in the presence of God 
other than Jesus Christ. Okay, you got that? Anything else other than Jesus. If that's giving you confidence before the presence of God, then that is the flesh, my friend. And it is powerful in its grip on our thinking and on our hearts. And, and Artie Kendall asks a great question. We use a lot as elders. And you'll get it if you come for your membership class, your dedication. Some of you have got it already. Um, he asks the question this way. He says, and I'm going to ask it to you, to you tonight. If, God forbid, you had to die on your way home, and you had to stand at the gates of heaven, and God asks you, why should I let you in? What will your answer be? Because that answer is where your confidence lies. Just think about your answer. And if your confidence is not Christ, then my friend, I'm not sure yet if you're saved. Or if you truly understand how you got saved. And it is the most important question of your life. And Paul gives some examples. He uses his own life. And I, I, this is very close to South Africa today. To be a South African was very much Paul's experience around his faith growing up. And I want to not assume anything tonight that, that your answer is just, hey, cool, yes, I'm in. Can I say, can you just take a moment to have a very honest conversation with your heart? Because my third point is the examples of where we place confidence in the flesh. Paul talks about the things he looked to to give him a confidence to stand before God one day and even to stand before God on this planet earth in terms of his prayer life. These are the things that when he looked back on were rubbish but were so important to him in thinking that he had arrived in terms of being God's man. Let's read together from verse 5. It says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And then he goes on to say, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Can I make this, can I fast forward these words by 2,000 years and make this relevant for you and me tonight? Friends, I want to ask you, are you confident that one day God's going to receive you into heaven? Or even being confident to worship him tonight in his presence because you come from a religious family. That's what Paul said. He was circumcised on the eighth day. His parents were really good at making sure all the, the, the hoops and loops of the, of the Mosaic law was being kept. Now, Paul had nothing to do with that decision. His parents did. But when Paul looked back, that early eighth day circumcision, it was very significant for making him feel I'm right with God. Can I say what the modern-day equivalent is? Anybody here gone through a christening, a baptism as a baby? Maybe you feel, oh, no, you know, my parents, they, they loved the Lord so much. We grew up in church. Paul grew up in all of the religious festivities of Israel. His parents were dedicated Jews. I want to say the same confidence Paul felt from a traditional ba uh, a religious background is what you can feel tonight. And you know what I worry about sometimes? Is I worry about when I talk to one or two of you, you talk more about the faith of your parents than your own. You say, oh, no, no, I, I grew up in the church. I was, I was baptized as a baby. I had, I had parents that served the Lord. Friends, if you are standing here tonight because of some religiosity in your family and not on a total dependency on Jesus, you are not saved and you are not going to heaven. And we, remember what we're trying to do tonight. We're trying to move you 
through a very frank conversation at looking at where your confidence lies. And friends, if it is the legacy of the gospel in your family and not in your heart, you are not born again. The second is the country that you grew up in. You know, Paul could say, well, I'm from the people of Israel. Friends, we are considered a Christian country. Do you know that? And our identity, which is partly a problem for the sake of clarity of the gospel, but we have attached the gospel to our nationality so that we don't know the difference between South African and Christian. And I want to push tonight to say, just because you went to a school that preached the gospel, just because you went to a school that throwed some prayers and sang some songs to Jesus, just because you went to youth group on a Friday night, just because it was cool to be in with the Christian crowd, well, that changes as you get older, you'll see. But friends, you are by no means saved by your nationality. Paul had to say, although I was from the chosen race of the Jews, it was nothing. Nothing in my standing before God. And I want to push today and say, why are you here tonight? And why do you have confidence in the presence of God? Is it because, well, I'm a Christian because I'm South African? Friends, you are not saved. You are not born again. If that is your confidence before God, there is a work that has to take place in you seeing Jesus as enough, not your passport or your ID. How about the third thing, the tribe that you were born in? Even Paul could say, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. It was very prestigious because if you remember your biblical history, 10 of the tribes got wiped out. Only two were left and they were Judah and Benjamin. And Paul was able to say, you know, they couldn't do it after the temple was burned, but he was able to go back and say, can I just show you my lineage? That's my daddy. That's my great-grandpapa. That's my great-great-grandpapa. And I can go all the way back and show you how I'm really part of the chosen race. And what he thought was his tribe was giving him advantage before God. And you might say, we don't use tribal names. We might not use the names, but we certainly use it in practice, guys. Here tonight is the tribe of middle-class South Africa, of a Model C school, of university degrees. You know, one of the guys that came here, it was so interesting for me because he's right. He said, Yo, when I write to so many people are professionals, I don't feel like I'm a part of their tribe. And what we tend to do, please listen to me tonight, I'm jealous for you. God is jealous for you. Is you think because you have the advantages of education and money and opportunity compared to those who don't, you think you can translate that into the kingdom of God. And because you're something in this world, God thinks you're something before him. Friends, it is nothing. Paul said his standing, his tribal standing was useless when he stood, be when he stood before the glory of this God of heaven. I'll go one step more. You know, as Westerners, we tend to glory in our language as being Christian. Do you know that? And we struggle as English speakers because we think, man, we've had the Bible in our language for centuries. And when we rock up in Lesotho, these poor guys, they can't even read the scriptures in their local tongue because it's not even intelligible. Friends, what we can start to do as English-speaking white South Africans, please forgive me, my, my, my brothers from another, another, another heritage or color. I, I just want to lean in here to us Westerners and the pride that we have in thinking we have the ownership of the gospel. Can I just say to you, if you're Afrikaans here tonight and you think, well, I grew up with the Enchia church and to be Afrikaans was to be Christian. It's the same for English-speaking South Africans. We think, yeah, especially in the Eastern Cape, because of our language, we have some advantage before God. Even in prayer, may God forbid that that will be our confidence before the Lord tonight. 
The only language we are called to speak is the one of grace, my friend, the one of trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior alone. And if we think we have advantages because of the language that comes from our lips, we are far from the grace of God. I'm going to get more personal, guys. How about the denomination that you belong to? We are Baptists, thank God. We can't think like that. I tell you what, I don't know about being Baptist growing up, but I certainly knew about being charismatic. And when we, when we were told about you Baptists, we were told you guys are dead. Praise God, we're with the Spirit. And you know what we do as parents? It's a caution here. It's a caution, I promise you. You can raise your children to think they're better before God because they are a part of a certain denomination. And the problem with that is that there is more allegiance to a methodology than to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we face here today is a crisis of identity, thinking that because my mommy or my daddy were Baptists and I was raised Baptist or I was raised Presbyterian or Methodist and we even have our seats in the church and God forbid anybody sat in our family seats, it would invoke the second coming that, that, that we somehow think we're going to be good with God. Paul says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. He's talking about a denomination in Israel that was so loyal to the Old Testament that they looked upon all these other people that were, you know, sort of these Sadducees, and they looked down upon the, the length of their nose as being rubbish. They didn't know the Scriptures. Friends, these Pharisees knew their Scriptures so well, but they didn't know Jesus. Do you today stop talking about the church that you attend and where you're historically a part of? We want to know where you stand with Christ. We want to know if you tasted of the grace of God. We want to know that you've cast yourselves upon the mercy of Jesus. And friends, he's not linked to a denomination. He's linked to the gospel. Or how about one's temperament? Paul says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Now, friends, have you ever been so zealous for God you've killed people for it? Well, let me tell you, that's quite, a lot, that's quite a lot of enthusiasm right there, right? I mean, no one showed their church membership loyalty by persecuting the Presbyterians down the road over there. Who are our friends, by the way. You know, this is close to home. What troubles me is having conversations. I, I, I must be honest, I don't see it much in our church, but may God never let us lose as an eldership the wisdom of Samuel to see past the flesh. But I have noticed that you get a kind of person that is so zealous for activity in the church, but I never hear the relationship with Jesus. I never hear what God is saying to them. I never hear a tenderness towards Christ. What I see is the sweat and enthusiasm of personality. And you can get the kind of personality that Paul was, where he's all in or nothing. Friends, you can be all into the business of church, but be outside of the kingdom of God. You can say, well, I'm a youth leader. Oh, I help Nikki with children's ministry. I go on the Lesotho mission trips. I help out on holiday club. I make sure I'm not only there to do the serving. I'm there for the setup and the pack-up. I'm really something before Jesus. And Nikki will tell you, those pack-ups really separate the wheat from the chaff. How about one's morality? Oh, Paul leaves the best for last. 
You know what his greatest struggle was? That according to the ceremonial law, because he could say later on in Romans that the 10th commandment of coveting, it ripped his heart apart. Anything that went to the internal space of self, he couldn't cope with. But the law was so focused on outward formality, outward conforming. He said, under the law, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. Friends, his greatest struggle of seeing his need for Jesus was, why do I need a Savior when I can keep the law? Why do I need someone to rescue me when I'm okay and I can keep the righteous requirements of God? The problem that Paul saw later on after he saw Christ was that the law was far higher than what he could see with the naked eye. That God didn't judge according to outward appearance. He judged what was in the heart. And when Paul began to look into his heart, he saw the wickedness and filth of sin. And he knew unless God rescued him from that, he had no hope. You know, as human beings, we have this tendency, whether you like it or not, to live by a moral code and then feel good about it. And confidence in the flesh is when the moral code is at the flesh level. Friends, that flesh level is fallen. If you're going to apply that to a glorious, sinless God as being the standard Good luck to you. But you see, the flesh, it will, it will cajole you. It will say, oh, don't worry. You didn't quite get that one right, but you got all of this right. Oh, don't worry. You know, you, you're okay with God because look at that person. Oh, don't worry. You just keep going and, and, you know, you'll get through it. It will be better tomorrow. You know, you'll feel better about life. You just keep going on and on with your little effort before God. And can I tell you what begins to happen is you begin to kid yourself that your effort before God, and it's these little religious games. We had a fascinating experience, Mark Kay and I, flying back from Cape Town on Wednesday. I was, trying, <laughs> I was trying hard not to eavesdrop on the guys behind us. Oh, I don't know if I should venture down here. Pray for me. <laughs> they flipped the hind leg of a donkey. And it was these young boys. I mean, just as these young boys are, I mean, they, they're trying to assert their ego to everyone around them. You know, the conversation never between the two of them. It's for the whole plane. Um, and that's okay. I was like, that's growing up. You're trying to make your place in the world. But these guys, I mean, the language was incredible. Unabashed, unashamed. But then when the planes began to take off, the guy was like, he turned to his friend, what's wrong with you? He says, no, but I'm scared. He's like, why are you scared? No, I'm going to die, bro. What if I die? I'm going to miss my mom. You know? <laughs> and then he said this. He said, don't you pray at night? Yeah, bro, I pray every night before I go to bed. So he goes, no, 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 I pray. I have faith in God. I was trying to compute this 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 schizophrenic moment of of <laughs> a life lived with absolute fleshly freedom, balancing the scales of prayer, being enough for his life insurance, and that he'll see his ma. We're just the same. Hey, we're just the same. And you know what burns on our hearts as elders 
and, and what must burn on your heart, church, is this idea that surely living a good, religious, moral, upright life will bring us salvation. Friends, that is the, the pit. Hell is full with people who said that. And we as a church say, no, like Paul, whatever gain I had, he thought all these things were advantages. He said they were rubbish because they blocked me from seeing the glory of Jesus and they were at a loss when I found all that I needed in him. In him. And friends, that's my fourth point tonight is when we put no confidence in the flesh, do you know what you gain? Is you gain Christ. You gain Christ. Paul is saying, run from anything that competes with the confidence that comes in the presence of God from Christ alone. You know, the great hymn writer, he sang it, I think, tonight. It's the old version. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song, my cornerstone, my solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. That is the heart of the gospel, my friend. And a life that has looked upon the flesh and said, I count it as rubbish. And I've asked the Lord tonight, like, what must, how far do we go in this journey of, of, of counting it as loss? Because I, I do worry tonight that as believers, a bit of Galatians has happened to you. Do you know what happened in Galatians? They started with the joy of the Lord and Jesus being enough for salvation. And then these Judaizers came in and they started to layer that salvation with performance. You know what I pray for standing up here looking at you? Is I long for the day when everybody here in this room have shining eyes and shining faces because the joy of Jesus has gripped their heart, because they've come to see radically that he is always and eternally enough. And what I worry is your life is becoming about what you're not getting right. And your life is, not, is becoming about the schemes of righteousness that you impose on yourself. And your life is becoming about this hard service that you have to keep doing in order to have some standing before God. My friends... You've forgotten the gospel when you've lost joy because why? The joy is this, this God is now seated on a throne of grace. Why is it grace? Because Christ has satisfied the righteous requirements of the law. And you know what Hebrews says? It says we are to approach his throne of grace with confidence. Not when you're feeling good. It says to find mercy. Mercy means you, you, you're not getting the judgment you deserved and help in the time of need. You are needing mercy because of some failure or you're needing help because of some weakness. It is in that state you come boldly before the throne of grace and say, I come because of Christ. And prayer is a work, not a pleasure. 
reading your Bible is a burden rather than a blessing because you are using these means of grace to give confidence in your standing before a God who is already receiving you through Jesus Christ. And what we do is we stay away from God even for days until our emotions feel strong enough to face Him. We, we, instead of running to this God of mercy in Christ Jesus, we try and up our game, up our reading plan, up our prayer life, up our church service, up our commitments. We, we, we instead, of, instead of just coming and finding mercy in the time of need, what we do is we put our confidence in these things of the flesh to give us a standing in the presence of God. And friends, Paul is saying those things we must drop kick out of the universe of our lives. They have no place before the sufficiency of Jesus. Do you know what it does to your father's heart when you do that? Yes, it says, yeah, I have given you Christ. Why are you bringing me these crumbs? I have given you my son. Why are you bringing me these filthy rags? I have covered you with a sufficiency for all time of my son Jesus and I have done it willingly why do you wait why do you hang back why do you try and find confidence in things that are passing away when I have given you the joy of Jesus this gospel is radical It is not attached to your flesh. It is attached to Christ. And praise God for that. And may tonight be an invitation. For the one here tonight, this is the good news of Jesus Christ for you. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Do you think God is interested in your attempts trying to impress him when he has the son of God who's impressed him enough and he's willing to say yeah he's for you he can be all yours if you will forsake the pride of self and DIY religion and DIY attempts of trying to impress his God and you will cast yourself upon the joy of being rescued by another his name is Jesus, my friend. You must look at Jesus tonight and say, this glorious God of heaven, how can it be? He could be so merciful upon him, a soul like me. Yes, my friend, he has, and he's come to you personally. He's found you in his word. He's drawn you here. He set you up for this moment of receiving Jesus. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What can you possibly beat the benefits of Christ? Come, confess him as Savior. Not just a Savior, your Savior, your only Savior. Come and place your life in his hands of mercy. Will you do that tonight?
Will you get serious with God? He's gotten serious for your sake. Christ came. He bled on a cross for the rescue of your soul tonight. That is serious stuff, my friend, because God is serious about you. He loves you. And tonight, he's drawn you in. Get serious about Jesus. Get serious about his offer of salvation. Get serious about the joy of being completely his. You know what that will do for you? Some of us know the loneliness of walking through this life as though there is nobody cosmically on your side. That's what it's like outside of Christ. Friends, you want to know what the joys of the Christian? We've kind of come under the shepherding of the God of heaven whose eyes on the very number of hairs on our heads. And we've come to know the joy of what it means to be led, not leading our own lives into destruction after destruction, but into blessing after blessing. This is the joy of what it means to say yes to Christ tonight. To feel the warmth of heaven the security of heaven, the shield of heaven, the overruling love of heaven, that's what's on offer to the one who says yes to Christ tonight. That is the joy of being rescued, my friends, by a God who loves you. Won't you come? Won't you come? This is a matter of your heart. You come with your heart, not just with your mind. You come with your heart. Cry of your heart saying, Jesus, rescue me. And then, church, what was your answer to the question I asked earlier? If you had to stand before God tonight and you asked, why should I let you into heaven? What will your answer be? If it is not Christ and Christ alone, you've got something to turn away from and turn freshly towards. It is for yourself again tonight, a fresh taste of the gospel, which is this in Christ you are secure before a God who loves you as a father. Isn't that wonderful? That's what we're doing here. Is to know him. Because we've been found by him. And we're his. We're his. That's the joy of the Lord. That's the wonder of grace. And it is yours in Christ Jesus. Don't you let any part of your flesh or any of the dogs out there rob you of it. It is yours. Let's pray. One more chance. Is there anybody here who does not yet know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Would you drop the wrestle tonight? And would you receive mercy in Jesus? You must respond to him. You must turn your heart towards him. You must react to the gospel. You cannot passively have just been here and received it. You must tonight say, Jesus, save me. You've got to do that now. Won't you do it? And then, Lord, as a church, we just come and humble ourselves before your goodness and say, Lord, we don't want it any other way tonight. We want Christ alone to be enough. We know ourselves. 
if we had to add anything to Jesus, it would be an absolute flop. It would be, a, it would be an absolute shambles. Tonight, we glory in a gospel that says, Faith plus nothing in Christ plus nothing leads to forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Lord, we don't want it any other way. And we stand secure by leaving it tonight. We're yours. By your precious blood. Amen.